Notes from the Upper West Side, a novel by Dan Wrench. Chapter 29, My Ride with Big Butt. Big Butt Belinda was pretty surprised when I let it slip that Parp was physically deformed. I mean, I'm pretty sure when ladies fantasize about blowing a guy, they picture him having all of his fingers and toes. I felt sorry for the sloth. No fooling. It wasn't his fault he was born with a foot that looks like a talon, but hey, even really hard pecs won't stop a girl from puking when she looks down at the end of the bed and counts, and recounts, and realizes she's lying next to something that would have been burned at the stake in simpler times. I'm not saying those were good times. Those days back when Parp would have been lit on fire in a public place. I'm just saying that generally, chicks don't fantasize about blowing Devil Boy. There are freakish exceptions to that rule. My wife, for example. Big Butt. Wow, really? You're not kidding? Nine toes? Me. Yeah, the chick he's with now? She's got some weight problems, so I guess she figures it's a trade-off. Big Butt. He's got a girlfriend? Me. I think she's his girlfriend. Maybe he doesn't call her that. Silence. She looked out the window at the funeral homes whizzing past. For the record, and because I'm being absolutely truthful in this tale of revenge and justice, Park didn't actually have this other chick in his life. I made her up on the spot. Pretty smooth, right? Don't be acting all shocked. If you know anything about me by now, if I've gone out of my way to tell you anything about me, it's that I need to be lord of all tale. Cock-blocking is more than just a reflex with me and slightly less than a raison d'etre. That's why I'm in therapy. I'm trying to deal with it. I'm trying to be a better person, and usually I am. But see, Parp sent me out on this errand when he knew all I wanted was my cami, and she didn't show up. So now he thought he could make me into his gopher, and besides, I had to talk about something on the ride back from Long Island, didn't I? He looks like Iggy Pop, she giggled. I wasn't ready to change the subject. Maybe, I giggled. I bet Iggy has ten toes, though. <laughs> she kind of shut up after that and stared out the window some more. I could smell her. She had this scent of almond mint coming off her, probably off her hair. Almond mint, just like Junior's ex-hooker gal pal, Sue Gasparino. It was right about then that I started to wonder whether Big Butt Belinda was game for a roadside fuck. Swear to God, it started out as an innocent speculation, a rumination on the evidence at hand. In the first place, I knew she posed naked on the internet. In the second place, I knew she was wearing jeans so low-cut I could practically see snatch cleavage. So how could I not wonder if she was just waiting for an invitation to pull over and slam for a while? What if she was telegraphing it to me so hard she was vibrating and I was just too damn dopey to pick it up? What if she's sitting there thinking, what the fuck is he waiting for? 
And then the old, dark suspicion set in, the ancient male suspicion, primordial even. Back in the ooze, male lizards suspected they might be banging a lot more female lizard ass if only they spoke up more and weren't so afraid of getting shot down. Like I said, that suspicion, that suspicion that goes back so far it's branded on our DNA, I felt it creeping up on me. So the next thing I knew, I was opening my mouth and shit was flying out. Park tells me he found you on the internet one night while he was browsing for porn, I said. Says your ass is fan-tab. I gig-cackled. He said what? Fan-tabulous. He didn't use that word, though. That's pretty much my word. She got really flustered, which I was completely unprepared for. She started to talk a few times, but cut herself off before she could get out more than an um or a shh, or some other sound that wasn't a whole word. I gig-cackled to try and make it seem like I was harmless, like I couldn't have meant I'd like to see her ass up close and bent over. What are you laughing at? She finally asked. Well, what? Well, I hope you liked my ass. Hey, it isn't me, Bindi, I pled. I don't think about your ass, it's Parp, he just told me about it. Oh, right. Yes? Well, if you'd taken the time to see the pictures yourself, then maybe you would have realized they're art. Classic. Looking at her big naked butt makes me an asshole. On the other hand, not looking at her big naked butt makes me an asshole. Meanwhile, she's missing the entire obvious point that Parp is the asshole for going around telling people her ass is sweet, so check it out. I decided to play the mature card. You see, I said, my voice getting all low and adult, it's just that I'm the father of two preteen boys, and sometimes they ask me questions about my friends, and I'm, well, not always sure what to say to them. Um, I thought, I thought you said this was because Pop said my ass was fantap. Now it's your kids? Sometimes they make you earn the mature card. I was using Tony as a jumping-off point, I said. I was kind of terse, you know? The way mature people are when they're disappointed you weren't mature enough to understand them the first time. It was quiet for a sec, then she said, Okay, what kind of questions do your kids ask that make you have to tell me how fantab my ass is on the internet? Well, I'm an actor and a model. I have a lot of artist friends who participate in activities that a couple of very young boys wouldn't understand, so... I ask for them, and also, I chuckled here, for myself. I don't get it. Well, in your case, I'd like to be able to tell them how a photographic artist decides to become her own nude portraiture subject. How old are your kids? Seven and four. Wouldn't it just be easier to tell them not to browse the internet before they're old enough to reach the keyboard? I chuckled serenely at the snide twat. <laughs> Point taken, I said. That just sort of hung there in the air for a few seconds. She cleared her throat. I was sure she was going to tell me I was full of horse shit, but instead she said, So, what are your kids' names? And we got onto a conversation about the fam. I thought for a few minutes that there might still be some cunt in it for me. I thought maybe the mature card turned her on. It says, I'm stable. Sophisticated, even. Maybe she and Cammy talked about me last night on their ride back to Long Island. Maybe they both have fantasies about doing married men. 
but no such luck. We fam-talked for a while, and then suddenly the subject shifted to her childhood in Nassau County and how she wanted to be a photographer since she was eight and her uncle Jeffrey gave her an old Polaroid. Then we had to talk about her cool boyfriend and how they live together in the little house with the pit bull, and how the pit bull stares at them every morning while the cool boyfriend eats her out. That's right. I can't bring up the subject of her ass because that might signify I have one of those disgusting male libidos, but she can blithely mention she comes in her boyfriend's face every morning. Ladies, if this game had rules, there would be flags all over the field. Oh, and get this, she's a libertarian like Parp. Cool, I said, so you're in favor of legalizing marijuana? Yep, is. Me too, but I'm just a lowly Democrat. Democrat, huh? So that means you think the poor should be protected from the marijuana agribusiness, right? Huh? If marijuana is legalized, right, then you'll have a whole bunch of growers and sellers out there, and each of them is going to want you to buy their marijuana. Think they should just be allowed to do that? You know, put profits before people? Well, I think they should be strictly regulated, of course. Of course you do she said. Oh, my friends, her contempt for my reasonable views just oozed. And the FDA should have to approve all the weed before anyone gets to smoke it first, right? Huh, I said. Interesting. <laughs> you know, I remember once in Syracuse we were scoring a bag. I thought the reminiscence would throw her off the scent, and it did, thank God. We talked about pot and pot smoking and how Parp and Viter used to just sit there and never smoke it, just pass it to the next person, sober as wet clams while everyone else giggled. She was curious about Parp and Viter and Whispers and how they all got together and what their stories were. I told her Whispers was married to Mondy McDade and then I had to tell her who Mondy McDade was. You remember 1981? I asked. Um, I actually wasn't born in 1981. Oh, well, but you know the song, Not on the Hood of My Car, right? Mm, maybe. Well, she wrote that, and it was recorded by her group Blinks, which was pretty hot back then. They used it in the soundtrack to the movie Surviving Chappaqua High. Oh, I saw that movie. What was the name of the song? Not on the Hood of My Car. Pause. I saw her arm lurch as it started to reach for the non-existent radio, then aborted. I can't believe you never heard of Monty McDade. Sorry, she said. Then she kind of giggled a scoffing giggle. I'll take you away for it. So cool, Bobby's married to a rock star. What about Tony and George Vita? How did they hook up? So I told her how Parp and me and Viter went to school together. How when Parp and Viter got out, they did a summer at a resort doing a mind-reading act. Parp was the mind-reader. Viter worked to the audience. Then later they came to New York and Parp started up a theater company and Viter did comedy. That's where Viter met Bobby Whispers in the comedy clubs. Whispers was a member of a four-man comedy troupe called Max Yucks. He wasn't that great a performer, but Viter liked his material, so Whispers ended up writing for Viter after Max Yucks split up over who got to fuck their one groupie. Viter's career really took off after that. Then, like I mentioned before, came the night when he froze in front of Letterman's microphone. That by itself didn't kill him, but his confidence was gone. He couldn't get a laugh. Other comics would sit at the bar watching him and wincing while he choked. While Viter was on the upswing, 
Whispers was living large. New apartment, rock star girlfriend, leather blazer for every day of the week. So when Viter's career exploded, Whispers was kind of caught holding a scotch and looking stupid. He might have tried some stand-up himself, but right around then his old man died and left him the tobacco shop on 6th Avenue. Suddenly his day job was making sure pork chops in suits got fresh fat cigars. Viter's been in therapy ever since, I told Big Butt, but he's been making a comeback on cable shows. If you've got HBO, you've maybe seen a couple specials he's done, but he mainly performs at his club now. And the place we're going today, that's Viter's? Yep, and Whispers is directing, and Parp wrote it, and I'm producing. Oh, whoopee-doo, she said, with a petulance that came out of nowhere. I was too tired to fight with it, so we rode in silence for a while. Just before we got to Manhattan, she started taking pictures of me and giggling, and I said, Now you stop that! You know, playfully. I still can't figure out exactly where the turning point was. You know, the exact point where she decided, Nope, no cock in this car. But to this day, I try to figure it out. The male lizard in me needs to know. Notes from the Upper West Side is a work of fiction. The people depicted in this work do not exist. Notes from the Upper West Side. Copyright 2013 to 2016 by Dan Wrench.